You are now listening to the Faith Community Bible Church Podcast. It's our prayer that this message is not only a blessing to you, but to your entire family. Join us as we aim to make Christ known in our community by caring for the community. God bless. Thank God for all of you who are here on this morning, all of you who are tuning in online. We welcome you to Faith Community Bible Church, where we exist to make Christ known in the community by caring for the community. My name is Anderson, and I serve as one of the pastors here, and it is my pleasure this morning to stand before you and give you the Word of God. Amen. All of our other pastors have went down to Atlanta to sharpen their gifts and and to be poured into. Aren't you glad to God that we have pastors who care about their gifts, who care about us enough to sharpen their gifts, to pour into themselves and, and, and to pour into others? Man, we, we bless God, and today I am very grateful and excited to stand before you. We are going to continue our series in Romans. Today we will be starting Romans chapter 8. We'll be in verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, stand with me as we read the Word of God together. Again, we're in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And the word of the Lord reads as follows. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 6, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. I just read to you, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful to be in your presence one more time, Lord. So glad to be in the service one more time, Lord. Lord, we pray that as we gather together in this place that you, Lord God, would speak to us, Lord, that you would speak through your vessel. I am nothing and you are everything. Apart from you, I can do nothing, Father. So I pray, Lord, that you would have your way in me. Prepare our hearts, prepare our minds and our ears to receive that which you have for us today. And Lord, use me as a fit vessel, holy and acceptable in your sight, Lord. To, Lord God, partition unto your people, Lord, what you have given us. And Lord, I thank you. And I praise you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray. Let the church say amen. Amen. Welcome, everyone. Again, we are in our series in Romans, and we've transitioned to Romans chapter 8. And Paul makes a great transition in this verse. We know that Pastor Bird talked about last week, the struggle is real, but so is freedom. He talked about the relationship that we have with the law. As believers, the law cannot save us, but it is good. 
It is righteous. It is from God. And it has a place. But Paul makes a transition today. And today I want to talk to you about an extreme makeover, the spiritual addition. And the main point for today is the Spirit of God gives a new life to those who are in Christ. Extreme Makeover is an American reality television series that premiered on ABC on December 11, 2002. The show depicts ordinary men and women undergoing extreme makeovers involving plastic surgery, exercise regimens, hairdressing, and wardrobing. Each episode ends with the participants return to their families and friends who have not been allowed to see the incremental changes during the participants' absence and showing their reactions. And we know that a spinoff series, Extreme Makeover Home Edition, debuted in 2003. The Home Edition ended up being more popular than the other one, and so that just took off. And we are all pretty much familiar with that. It's pretty much became a part of our culture. And we all like a good story. The series captured the attention of our nation because who doesn't like a good story? Who doesn't like a good transformation story to see somebody go from being broken, from being disfigured, from not having a, a decent home to live in to being blessed? We all love a good story. It's a beautiful thing to see someone be able to experience that, to be able to get a new start. And chapter 7 ends with a hopeful cliffhanger. While Paul addresses the sobering reality of two differing principles at work, one that desires to please God and shamefully one that wages war against his law and is empowered by sin and death, he asks the question, who will deliver him from this body of death? He follows that by exclaiming his thanks to God through Jesus. Jesus has freed us from this bondage to the law or the principle of sin and death that is working within us. Sin has often had us on the ropes ready to deal the killing blow, like we in the ring with Mike Tyson. You know, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't dare get in the ring with a professional boxer, man. It takes skill and a lot of heart to be hit in the face and be all right. <laughs> you know, to be hit in the face and still be able to focus and get through and get through the fight. And sin has us like that at times on the ropes, ready to deal the killing blow. Our weaknesses and our guilt highlighted by the righteousness that is revealed in God's law. God commands us to be holy because he is holy. I know that you may have heard somebody say, don't trip, God ain't through with me yet. I know you may have heard somebody say that God knows my heart and he understands me. He knows all that I go through. But at the end of the day, in his word, God commands us to be holy for he is holy. So we have a dilemma. We have this, this, this principle, this law at work in us that produces sin and death, but God is at the same time commanding us to be holy. Because he's holy. Praise God that in Christ we are declared righteous. Anybody excited about that this morning? Anybody excited that when, when, the, when the clouds part and the, the sky cracks and he descends with the shout of an archangel and with the trumpet that you don't have to hide, you don't have to fret because you've been declared righteous? You don't have to try to scramble together to try to dust yourself off and get your life together at the last minute and bargain with the Lord because he's already made you righteous. He talks about that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. But the reality of the situation is that in practice, we still come up short. In our day-to-day -day lives, even though we've been declared righteous, we've been justified, his blood has cleansed us from all of our sins, we've been forgiven, but in our practice, in our everyday life, we still fall short. We still have this sin nature in our flesh, chomping at the bit, waiting to come out and act up. Anybody just wake up with an attitude? You don't know why. You're just mad at the world. You just wake up with a bad attitude because of seemingly life has just dealt you a losing hand. 
and you just got this attitude and you don't know how to deal with it and what to do about it. Has the Lord saved us from sin and his wrath only for us to turn around and go right back to the hog pen he delivered us from? Have we been appointed and anointed and called by God and called holy and called a holy priesthood and, and set apart only for us to go back to clowning like we used to? Going back to mouthing off like we used to? Going back to throwing hands like we used to? Going back to giving people a piece of our mind like we used to? Like those featured on Extreme Makeover who have had their flaws exposed, the law of God exposes us and causes us to look for some type of recourse and help. The law of God is like a mirror. You know how we do. We try to dress it up and make it up and wig it up and all these things in order to make ourselves appear like we're all right and we're grand. But on the inside, we're dying and we're hurting because the sin that is eating within us is causing us to be frustrated, causing us to feel hopeless, causing us to feel like we have no answer. Going back to the same habits, the same addictions, the same mess-ups, the same pits. The law of God exposes us. And like Paul, we cry out for deliverance from this body of death. Anybody get tired of themselves? You ever got tired of yourself? Like, man, I'm tired of you. You need to straighten up. You need to get your life together, man. You know what the Lord, you know the price that the Lord has paid for you. You know what he went through on Calvary's cross for you, but at the same time, there's something on the inside of us that wants to rebel, that wants to have our way, that wants to please our flesh. So we cry out for deliverance from this body of death, even though we've been saved, set free, and delivered. We've been bought with the price and made heirs of God and joined heirs with Christ. But yet and still we find ourselves sleeping with the enemy. We wake up and greet the enemy every morning. We rise and look in the mirror. In our flesh dwells no good thing. And if we're not intentional, we will show how true that is day in and day out. Cut me off in traffic, I'll show you a piece of my mind. Take that last slice of bread. Step on my J's, oh my goodness, and stepped on my J's. Man, we know how to exercise our flesh, don't we? We know how to do these things, but we know also that God has called us away from these things. God doesn't leave us grasping and groping in the darkness, trying to figure out how to perfect our ability to live for him on our own. Some people jump from church to church, pastor to pastor, preacher to preacher, Bible to Bible, conference to conference, trying to find an answer, trying to find relief, trying to find the way out because they keep going back to the same sins. They keep going back to the same patterns, the same habits. But God doesn't leave us grasping and groping in the darkness like a blind man, trying to find our way to freedom, trying to find our way out of our situations. We don't have to work and scrape and crawl through this life as born-again believers faking it till we make it. The good news is the, re the, the, the reason we have to shout is that the Spirit of God gives new life to those who are in Christ Jesus. Today I want to show you three ways that the Spirit gives us an extreme makeover. Three ways that the Spirit gives us an extreme makeover. The first way is that our life is made over by the Spirit, is that we are given a, a new status in the Lord. Let's look at our text. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He says that God has done what 
the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do. Imagine that. The law is good. The law is perfect. The law is from God. But because of our flesh, because of our weakness, it has no effect. The only thing that it's able to do is to continually highlight how short we fall of God's glorious standard of righteousness. And we come up very short. One of my favorite movies to watch as a child was Aladdin. It's a story about a poor young man who fell in love with the princess far above his station in life. So he found out about a magic lamp that can grant him three wishes for whatever he wanted. He used the lamp to go from a lowly street rat, as the guards referred to him, as print, to Prince Ali of Ababwa. Where, where that name came from, I don't know. Jeannie was tripping. But he realized that he needed a new and a higher status in life if he wanted to be granted access to marry the princess he loved. If you want to find out your status in life, try to walk into the White House. If you want to find out your status in life, try to, try to go past the velvet rope without the proper credentials. In life, we all are born with a certain status. We all are born in, in our certain families. We're all born with a certain amount of money and riches. And Aladdin knew that as a poor street rat that he had no chance to get with this princess that, so, that he was so enamored with. He realized that he needed a new and higher status in life if he wanted to be granted access to marry the princess he loved. Your status in life can determine what resources, opportunities, and access you can obtain. Sin, that three-letter word that nobody want to talk about. Sin closed off our access to the garden, the tree of life, and our close relationship with God. We need a change of status in order to be granted access to these things. Chapter 8 is a turning point in Paul's letter to the Romans. He begins chapter 8 proclaiming the exciting reality that there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. What does that mean? Okay, Jesus died on the cross. He took my sins on his back. There's no more condemnation. What does that mean for me? He frees us from the cloud of judgment, guilt, and shame hanging over the condemned. Now, we know the reality, we know the truth of God's word that we've been bought with the price. We sing the songs, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. We sing that, but at the same time, in the back of our minds, we know what we did last night. We know what we said this morning. We, we know what we thought. We know what we did. That leaves a cloud over our head, a cloud of condemnation, a cloud of judgment. We, we, we look at God and we perceive him as an, an angry old man yelling, get out my lawn, ready to strike us down at any moment. It changes our perception of our relationship with God. But the good news today is that the Spirit comes to us in order to remove that condemnation, to remove that sense of indebtedness to the law, to remove that slavery that we place ourselves in. You, you ever seen somebody released from jail and they run back into the bars? Because they've become so, they, they become so institutionalized, they become so comfortable with being confined that they're scared of freedom. Sin has us like that at times. We're so institutionalized by sin and the feelings that it gives us and the familiarity that it has that we're scared of freedom. God frees us and we're scared to step out from the bars because of, of what we're familiar with and what we're comfortable with. And the Spirit of God has come to remove that condemnation so that we can move and operate in our freedoms. For freedom, he has made us free. Chapter 8 is a turning point. He proclaims that 
We have no more condemnation. He frees us from the cloud of judgment, guilt, and shame hanging over our heads because sin makes us debtors and slaves to the law. Like a person on death row, confined as a walking dead man, we are forced to live knowing that one day we don't have to pay the piper. We perceive God as a vengeful man in the sky waiting to strike us dead. The Spirit frees us from this wretched quality of life by removing any form of condemnation, freeing us from the dread that sin can cause us to experience because of God's righteous requirement revealed in his law. I forget who said it, but somebody is quoted as saying either sin will keep you away from the word or the word will keep you away from sin. How often do we find ourselves not reading our our word and not seeking God because of our sin, because of the habitual patterns of sin that we have in our life. I come today to free you, to pronounce freedom over you that we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live that quality of life. He has died that we can receive the riches of heaven. We're heirs and joint heirs with Christ, and we're living like spiritual paupers. Because we're comfortable in our sin. Although we've been given heavenly rights and privileges in Christ, condemnation will cause us to live like convicted felons, confined and stripped of rights and liberties. We are free today. We've been seated in the heavenly places with Christ, Ephesians 2 and 6. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies, Ephesians 1 and 3. These are realities. These are facts. This is true. Like God has given us access to all these things. But do we take advantage of it? Are we ready to leave our prison cells of, of sin and, and death and walk into the newness of life? The Spirit of God wants to give us a new quality of life. Paul describes two principles at work in the text. The principle or law of sin and death this Paul uses to describe the broken state of our human, fleshy nature. The other principle is the law of the spirit of life. This describes our new life in Christ, wrought by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 goes into great detail to compare and contrast these two opposing realities. The works of the flesh versus the works of the spirit. The law of the spirit of life sets us free from the bondage of the law of sin and death working in our natural man within us. In our natural man, in our flesh, there is no good thing. That's why the Bible warns us in Jeremiah 17, cursed is the man who trusts in princes, who trusts in the strength of their flesh. In our flesh is no good thing. So when we trust in the next president to save us, when we trust in the next mayor to save us, when we trust in the, in the next law to save us, when we trust in our government to save us, we're cursed. Because cursed is a man that trusts in princes and governors and, and flesh. Self-help books, no good. Because we can't help ourselves. We can appear to help ourselves. We can appear to be okay. We can appear to make ourselves look well. But the reality of the matter is that in the inside of us, the law of sin and death is at work. The law of the spirit of life sets us free from the bondage of the law of sin and death working in our natural man. While this has been granted to the believer by the Holy Spirit, it requires us to make the decision to put to death the old self. The Spirit gives us the desire to do it and even empowers us to be able to do it. I know that some of you feel like you have the I can't help it. I know some of you feel like that, you know, no matter what you do, no, no matter what rituals you try, no matter what challenges you put on yourself, that you always seem to fall short. You always seem to revert back. You always seem to find a flaw, a crack, or a stain. But I'm here to tell you today that the Spirit has come to free us from the bondage to sin and death. The Spirit has come to free us from our flesh. We no longer have to be bound by our flesh because the Spirit gives us the desire to do it, and he gives us the power to do it. 
We don't have to rely on our own strength. We don't have to muster up our own strength. We don't have to try to do these extreme things that people do, these religious observances that they perform in order to make themselves right with God. He's done all the work for you. The difference between our faith and all the other faiths is the other faith says do this. Our faith says it is done. It is finished. He proclaimed that on the cross. It is finished, but we aren't. And in that, the Spirit is working in us. He's changing us. He's transforming us. He's giving us an extreme makeover so that we could be presented to his majesty without wrinkle or spot, faultless in his presence. The law of God, while perfect and good and holy, does not have the power to free us because of the weakness of our flesh. But God, being the amazing God that he is, condemns sin in the flesh through the person and work of his beloved son. He used the very thing that holds us captive, just talking about turning things around, using things for our good, the very thing that holds us captive, the very thing that is an enemy to us, he uses it to deliver us. He appeared in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin and afford us an extreme makeover. Now, when I watched that show, I always used to wonder, who's paying for this stuff? Knocking down a whole house, building a brand new house, getting expensive surgery, who's paying for this stuff? Like, sign me up. Somebody help me out. Come knock my house down and build me a new house. Who's paying for this stuff? And a lot of times we wonder, how do we have the means to achieve the spiritual maturity and the, the blessings and all these things that God has promised us in his word? Sometimes we think we have to have a certain title or a certain position in the church. Sometimes we feel like that we have to do certain things. We've got to pray seven days a week, 365 days a year. We have to know our Bibles backward and forwards. But guess what? God has given you a free gift, paid for by his son. We've been granted by the Holy Spirit the power to live a life that's pleasing to God. We've been granted an extreme makeover. We've been transitioned from sin and death to life and peace. And while this has been granted to us as believers, it requires us to make a decision to put to death the old self. You know, we can't be like the man that was sitting by the pool of Bethesda waiting for somebody else to do the work. Jesus came up to him and he said, do you want to live? Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be set free? And sometimes we have to ask ourselves the same questions. Do we really want to be delivered? Like, do we find pleasure in our sin so much that we just can't seem to let it go? Do we find pleasure in these relationships and doing these things so much that we don't find the ability to let these things go? Jesus asked this man that because he was there for years. And sometimes when you spend years in situations and circumstances, it becomes so comfortable and familiar to you that you don't know anything else. So Jesus asked this man, do you want to? And he's asking you the same questions today. Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be delivered from that addiction? Do you want to be delivered from going around that same mountain? Do you want to be delivered from these same broken relationships? Do you want to be delivered from that same messed up mindset? Do you want to be delivered today? The Spirit gives us the desire to do it and even empowers us. Philippians 2 and 13. He used the very thing that held us captive, our flesh, to condemn sin and to afford us an extreme makeover, his precious, priceless blood worth more than all the gold and precious stones in the world, made a way for us to be redeemed and made over. The second way that the Spirit gives us a makeover is that he gives us a new mind. Verses 5 through 8 of our passage, Paul deals with two opposing natures. 
the old unregenerate nature and the new nature of the believer, two different mindsets, where one results in death and one results in life. There was a man who moved all around the country looking for peace, safety, and a new start. It seemed like everywhere he went, be it Houston, Atlanta, Chicago, etc., he could never get away from drama and strife. It was always the job, the neighbors, his family, or the riffraff down the street. Eventually, he'd gotten old and was alone. He'd forgotten that he stored a mirror in his closet and got into a shouting match with the intruder hiding in his closet. With shaking hands, he reached into his drawer, grabbed out his pistol, and he began removing clothes from the closet to get to this intruder. And he was left staring at his reflection. That was the day he woke up and realized that the problem was him all along. That's, that's some of our stories in here today. We blame everybody else. It was my mama. She didn't raise me right. My daddy wasn't there enough. My, my job don't pay enough. The neighbor's just not quiet enough. The riffraff down the street always starting something. It's always everybody else's fault. We take no accountability for ourselves. One day, we'll wake up and realize that we were the problem all along. Like the constantly moving man, we find pointed fingers for everyone but us. We are born with minds set on the flesh. This mindset causes us to become alienated from God and leads to death. Many times we ourselves have asked and have heard others ask, why does God allow evil to exist in the world? Anybody heard that question before? Like that's a, that's a big theological question. Like when people ask you that, they think they got you. They got you tripped up, man. If God is so good, if he's so powerful, why does he allow evil to exist in the world? Why does he allow all these bad things to happen, these wars, the starvation, and all these tragedies? Why does he allow it to happen? While this is a valid question, if we take a long look in the mirror of the law, a more pertinent question to ask is why does God allow me to continue to exist? knowing the evil that I personally sow into the world. What am I saying is that we're all accountable. We all add something to the evil in this world. We can't just blame the fingers at one other person. We have to look at ourselves. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all are born with the mind set on the flesh that leads us to become alienated from God and leads to death. If we take a long look in the mirror, we have to ask ourselves, why does God allow me to continue to exist knowing the evil that I've personally sown into the world? The mind that is set on the flesh cannot please God because it is hostile to him and will not submit to God's law. I know you, you've done all these things and you've had all these people pray for you and you've been going to all these conferences and all these prophets in order to find deliverance, but let me help you out. Your flesh cannot be obedient to God. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you fight, no matter how hard you get after it, how hard you pray, your flesh cannot submit to God's will. It just can't. It's hostile to God. And it will not submit to his law, no matter how fiery our preaching and our evangelism, no matter how many times we hit it with the Bible, the mindset on the flesh is a lost cause because it's dead. The only recourse for it is to dispose of it. In other words, it takes a miracle from God himself to translate us from death to life and from sinner to saint. It is not a work that we can do on our own. It's not something that we can muster up. We don't have the strength. We don't have the resources. We don't have the ability. I come to free you today. Like, stop trying to help yourself and go to the one who is able to help you. It's like the man who got a cut and said that, oh, I'll just doctor it up myself until the point that the cut became infected and he had to get his leg cut off because he didn't go to the help that he could have went to to get the help that he needed. 
We have things festering in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirits because we won't go to the Lord who's able to help us because of our ego, because of our self-righteousness. Oh, I'm, I got it all together. I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. And the Lord is sitting there waiting for us to come to him to receive the healing and the help that we need. The mindset on the flesh cannot please God. It must be disposed of. Paul tells us the remedy, remedy way back in chapter 1 of Romans. It's the gospel. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. As it pertains to the spiritual, there are only two types of people in this world. Those who are dead and those who are alive. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. There's no buffer zone. There's no, well, I'm halfway saved and God's still working on me or I'm still trying to get there. You know, I'm sitting on the fence. You know, today I can be saved. Tomorrow I'm not. Either you're alive or you're dead. Your mindset, your attitude, your pattern of thinking and affections testify to what camp you belong to. Think about your mindset this week. Think about the attitudes you've had this week. Think about the desires that you've longed for this week. Does it point to the fact that you belong to God? Or does it point to the fact that you're still following your flesh? When we were unregenerate, we went after the dead things that our flesh longed for because we are in Christ. The Spirit gives us a new mind with new affections and attitudes and patterns of thinking. If we were to look at this text alone, it would seem to be teaching sinless perfectionism. And I want you to get the guys to know that that's not what I'm preaching to you today. I'm not telling you that today you can somehow become perfect and do everything right from here on out. But what I am telling you that is that if you have the spirit of Christ living in you, you have a desire to want to please God. You have a desire not to want to do those things that you do. Like Paul in Romans chapter 7, you cry out, God, help me. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live this life anymore. I don't want to do these things anymore. But taken in context with other scriptures, we see that there is a war going on within us. Galatians 5 and 17 shows us that the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. With the power of the spirit and the word of God, we are able to crucify our flesh and put to death its deeds. God is with us and for us. We are his own, purchased with the price that no man can pay. We belong to him, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he doesn't leave us in this battle alone. The third way that the Spirit makes us over is that he gives us his indwelling presence. Many of us have faced bullying and bullies in our life. We, most of us have all faced it. And I don't know about Johnny, he, he cocky over there, you know. He ain't got no bullies, but, man, I, I had to find some bullies in my life. I remember as a little boy living in Kenlock, I would often go to the park in the summer to play in the splash pad that they had set up. One particular day I was playing in this splash pad, and, you know, I know, like, looking at me now, you can't tell, but back then I was a little scrawny with something. I was a little skinny little dude. I was probably 20 pounds soaking wet. So I was at this splash pad, and I was playing, and I was enjoying my time and having fun, and my uncle was a ways off, and this guy who was way older than me and bigger than me, for some reason, I, I guess I was on his territory or something, he just had to come up and push me. And so we got into a shoving match, and because he was so much bigger than me, he pushed me down, and I skinned my knee. Now, I can't confirm or deny whether I may have dropped a few tears or not, but, you know, that, that don't even matter. But I looked at him, and I told him, man, I'm going to go get my uncle. You should have saw how he took off running. Because he knew my uncle was an adult and was way bigger than he was and would rectify the situation. God wants to be that for us. He wants to be that uncle, that, that daddy, that brother that we can run to when the bullies of life come against us. When the flesh comes against us, when the world comes against us with all its temptations, 
with all its lies, with all its deception, and when the enemy shoots darts at us to, to, to lie to us and to deceive us and to get us to believe that God somehow doesn't love us and he's forgotten about us and, and we've done too much and God has pushed us aside, those are lies from the enemy. God wants to be that person that we can run to. So much so that he's given us his indwelling presence. I always wondered as a kid if that guy would have had the gall to do that if my uncle was with me at the time. Like if my uncle was standing right there, would that guy still be brave enough, still be bad enough to push me down? Like me, we all have to deal with these bullies. The closest and oftentimes seemingly biggest bully being our own flesh. In the upper room after partaking of the feast, our Lord would walk the disciples through what was about to take place and what he was setting into motion. He made the disciples aware of the fact that he had to go away. But he told them that he would send another comforter like him who would convict the world of sin, convince them of God's righteousness, and convert those who are being saved. You can find that in John chapter 13 through 15. He told them that this comforter will guide them into all truth and remind them of everything he taught them. Do we ever silence the distractions of our life as believers to just meditate on the fact that God himself dwells with us? Like, do we ever stop our lives to just think about that amazing fact, that amazing truth that the very God who spoke creation into existence dwells with us? Now, if you ask me the specifics, I don't know. You know, I can't, you know, break it down and give you the details of where he's at. You know, is he in our stomach? Is he in our heart? Like, I don't know. But the spiritual reality is this, that God is with us. You know, like me, I... We don't have to run and try to find an uncle or find somebody to help us through this situation. God is right there. He's with us. He's an ever-present help in times of trouble. He's in trouble with us. We have the ultimate trump card, that God has taken it upon himself to dwell within us. This is a very comforting and simultaneously sobering reality. Like the sobering reality is that when you decided to step out there and do the things you were doing as a believer, guess who was with you? God. When you decided to give that person a piece of your mind, guess who was right there with you? God. But the flip side of it is, is that when the world and the enemy and our flesh comes against us, guess who's right there with you still? God. Guess who will never leave you or forsake you? God. Guess who wants to help you through your battle? God. He loves you. He's for you. He cares for you. He gave his beloved son for you. And he wants to get you through this so much so that he's taken it upon himself to personally dwell within us. The Lord is committed to us and leaves nothing to chance. Our fruit or our evidence testifies to whether we belong to Christ or to the streets, as the young people say. Our thoughts either betray or affirm us. While the Spirit transforms us internally, we must war against our natural inclinations. We are prone to quench the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And we also grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4 and 30 says, And do not grieve the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The context of these two passages shows us what it means to quench as well as to grieve the Spirit. We quench the Spirit by stopping the progress of what He's trying to do in us and through us because of our fears and because of what we think people will think about us. You know, the Bible tells us that we're peculiar. 
Like, we, we're not meant to fit in with the world. We're meant to stick out like a sore thumb because this world is dying and fading away. Why would you want to be associated with that? We're called to be peculiar. We're called to stick out. We're called to be different. And the Spirit wants to work that in us, but because we want to roll with our cliques, because we don't want to be ostracized or laughed at or pointed out, we quench the Spirit and we grieve the Spirit when He wants us to love and He wants us to forgive and He wants us to move and to evangelize and do all these things that He's empowered us to do, but we don't do them because of our rebellious nature and our disobedience. Because God is triune in nature, he uses the phrase spirit of Christ as well. As I was studying this text, I saw that it transitioned from the spirit of God, the spirit of life, to the spirit of Christ. And, you know, I had to think about that and ponder that for a second. Because theologically, we know that God is triune. He's three in one. They're distinct, but they can't be separate. The disciples asked Jesus, show us the Father and that will suffice. He looked at him and said, y'all been with me all this time and you, you haven't known me? You haven't seen me? Like, think about that. This is Jesus. And they're asking to look at the Father, and he says, look, if you look at me, you see the Father. Even though they're distinct, they're inseparable. They share the same nature. So what we see in God, we see in Christ. And what we see in Christ, we see in the Spirit. So he dwells with us. Even though he had to go away to prepare a place for us, he's still with us. God is one, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Jesus makes an amazing promise in John 14 and 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Believer, do you not know that when you were joined to Christ that the triune God made his abode with you? The Spirit is evidence that we belong to Christ and adds much more to our lives than a new body or a house ever could. The gifts, the comfort, the help, the strength, the ability to do right when everything in my body is raging for me to do wrong. The ability to get up and rather than desire to go after sin, to chase after God. All of this comes from the Spirit of God and He dwells within us. And he gives us life. Back in 1980, Bishop Walter Hawkins asked the question, what is this? What is this that I feel deep inside that keeps setting my soul afire? Whatever it is, it won't let me hold my peace. What is this that makes people say I'm mad and strange? What is this that makes me want to run on in Jesus' name? Whatever it is, it won't let me hold my peace. It makes me love all my enemy, and it makes me love my friends, and it won't let me be ashamed to tell the world I've been born again. Oh, what is this? What is this that makes me do right when I would want to do wrong? What is this that when I'm down low, it gives me a song? Whatever it is, it won't let me hold my peace. If I could get into a, a, a time machine and go back, I would I help Bishop walk, Walter Hawkins and tell him, Bishop is not a what, but a who. Who is this that makes folks say I'm acting mad and strange? Who is this that makes me want to run on in Jesus' name? Who is this that makes me want to love my enemies and love my friends? Who is it that makes me want to crucify my flesh and live for God? Who is it that makes me hold my tongue when I want to give someone a piece of my mind? It's the Spirit of God, and He wants to do an extreme makeover. And all those who are in Christ, He wants to do it for you. Will you let Him? Will you let Him today instead of Amen. A bus, instead of us telling the bus to move out of the way, we can say roll away the stone. Because God is the resurrection and the life, and he's able to bring life unto you, and he wants to give you life today. 
He wants to deliver you from all your habits and addictions that are displeasing to him. He wants to move and live inside of you like a glove. When I set a glove on a table, it's just a glove that's just sitting there, but when I put my hand in it, it's able to do amazing things. And God, like that hand, wants to indwell within us and give us life and cause us to live for him and cause us to run on and cause us to go out into the street and evangelize. When we allow the Spirit of God to move in us like he wants to, pastor doesn't have to beg people in order to come out and to let the the neighborhood know about the love of Christ. When the Spirit of God moves inside of you like he wants to, the church doesn't have to beg for money. Nobody has to go without because the Spirit of God transforms us. It gives us an extreme makeover. He wants to make you over today. Today, if you are here and you heard the Word of God and you realize that you need an extreme makeover, I want you to stand. If you've been unfaithful to the Lord, if you found yourself always stumbling more than you are running for Christ, I want you to stand today. If God has moved in your heart and he's speaking to you right now and he's telling you that he wants to do a new thing in you, that you don't have to live the same old way that you used to, you don't have to deal with those same old relationships, you don't have to go in those same old circles. He wants to be that friend, he wants to be that brother, that uncle that you can run to in times of trouble. When you're fearful, he wants to be the one that you can lean and depend on. He's with you, and he cares for you. Thank you for listening to the Faith Community Bible Church podcast. We hope you were encouraged by the message on today. To respond to today's message, please go to fcbcstl.com forward slash respond. If you would like to give to support the mission and vision of Faith Community Bible Church, you can go to fcbcstl.com forward slash give. God bless.